The next panel is Ms. Amy Reidenauer, who is the president of the National Center for Public Policy Research and Nonprofit Foundation, on whose board Mr. Abramoff sat, who has information pertinent to the investigation. Ms. Gail Halpern, Jack Abramoff's tax advisor, who has information about Mr. Abramoff's businesses pertinent to the investigation. Mr. Brian Mann, a yoga instructor who served as a director for one of Michael Scanlon's companies, who has information about Mr. Scanlon's businesses per pertinent to the investigation. Mr. David Grosh, a lifeguard who served as a director for one of Michael Scanlon's companies, who has information about Mr. Scanlon's businesses pertinent to the, the investigation. And Mr. Aaron St Stetter, a former employee of Michael Scanlon, who has information about Mr. Scanlon's businesses prior to the investigation. <coughs> Ms. Reidenauer, we'll, we'll begin with you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and committee for inviting me to appear before the committee. In the interest of brevity, I am summarizing my remarks, but I do refer the committee to my written testimony for additional details. Without objection, your entire written statement will be made part of the record. Thank you. The National Center is a 23-year-old conservative free market nonprofit institution. I am the chief executive officer. One of the National Center's programs is Project 21, which highlights the views of conservative and moderate African Americans. Another activity examines the extent to which low-income and minority populations disproportionately bear the cost of some government regulations. Jack Abramoff joined our board in 1997 when we increased the number of board members from three to seven for the purpose of improving oversight. At that time, I had known Jack for nearly 17 years. He was a dedicated conservative, a successful lobbyist and businessman, and his managerial skills, it seemed to me at the time, exceeded my own. In 2000, the National Center adopted a conflict of interest policy requiring directors to reveal to the board all financial interests in any entity with which the National Center is negotiating a transaction. We required every member of the board to sign the resolution so that no one could later claim they were unaware of the policy. Every director did so. It was through Jack Abramoff that I had the honor in February of 1997 of meeting Chief Philip Martin and learning the Choctaw success story. From 1997 through 1999, the National Center received contributions of $7,500 in total from the Mississippi Choctaws. In 2000, we received $65,000. I understood all of these funds to be general support contributions. I am, of course, aware of news media coverage connecting part of these contributions to a trip we sponsored by a member of Congress. At the time, I extended an invitation to this member of Congress through his chief of staff I did not know we would be receiving contributions from the Mississippi Choctaws that year. At no time did I convey to the congressman or to his staff that we had received these contributions and I was never told nor was I under the impression that the Mississippi Choctaws even knew we had sponsored a congressional trip. In 2002, the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians donated $1 million to the National Center. Approximately four months before we received this contribution, my husband, who is vice president of the National Center, and I had lunch with Jack. The lunch was social, but we briefed him on information pertinent to the board, including the fact that the negative financial impact of 9-11 had reduced our ability to expand program services as we previously had planned for 2002. I told him that new donors would be especially valued that year, 
as would the opportunity to sponsor projects consistent with our mission for which funding was available. Jack then shared with us details of his work doing what he called, quote, a new kind of lobbying, unquote. He said he and his colleagues, working with the Mississippi Choctaws, had noted that for-profit, non-Indian gaming establishments were pushing to establish themselves in areas of the country not noted for their admiration of gaming. They believed that a public backlash against gaming was brewing, and that before things came to a head, perhaps four to five years down the road, they would educate the public about the Choctaw success story. I was very interested in what I was hearing. I noted that this new kind of lobbying was not lobbying at all, but educational work, and I expressed an interest in the National Center sponsoring it. Jack seemed mildly agreeable, but noncommittal. I did not press the matter, assuming the Choctaws were financing the project and would have to improve our involvement. Approximately four months later, Jack asked me if the National Center was still interested. For reasons I described more fully in the written testimony, we were. Jack instructed me to send a $1 million invoice to the Mississippi Choctaws, which I did. Mm. When the funds arrived, he told me how they should be dispersed. $450,000 to the Capital Athletic Foundation as a grant, $500,000 to Capital Campaign Strategies, and $50,000 to a company called Nuremberger and Associates. I believe Capital Campaign Strategies was to be paid for educational program services while Mr. Ralph Nuremberger was going to help coordinate the project. Jack referred to his receiving, quote, instructions, unquote, for the disbursements, which I took to mean recommendations from the donor, which was consistent with my belief that the Mississippi Choctaws were actively involved. Believing I was joining a project in progress, knowing that Jack was the legal representative of the Mississippi Choctaws, was part of a major law firm, and, as a member of the National Center's Board of Directors, had a fiduciary responsibility to the welfare of the National Center, I dispersed the funds in accordance with Jack's instructions. At the time, I also requested and received Jack's repeated assurances, both by email and verbally, that he, in assuming managerial authority for the project on the National Center's behalf, would adhere to the laws governing public charities. I often requested from Jack that he provide documentation about the educational activities we were supporting. He always said it would be no problem, and I believed him. So much so that I agreed to continue the project in May and June of 2003 when Greenberg Traurig sent the National Center $1.5 million. Jack told me $250,000 had been designated for the Capital Athletic Foundation as a grant and $1,250,000 was to be paid to Kaygold, a company I believed was owned by Michael Scanlon. I had resolved by then that if I did not promptly receive sufficient proof of good solid work performance, I would withdraw the National Center from the project. I did not get this proof, so I told Jack in July of 2003 that we would cease participation. He did not object. I continued asking him for documentation for work performed on the payments we already had made. I always trusted Jack, and I believed we would ultimately receive this documentation. Of the various theories I had in my mind as to why we were not receiving the funds, none of them involved the suspicion of misuse of funds. I still trusted him, frankly, after the negative press stories began in 2004, when the Washington Post published, that, but when, when the Washington Post published, and that is in September of 2004, that Jack owned Kegold, 
I knew that something was very seriously wrong. At that point, I telephoned our board of directors and we agreed, simply on the strength of the violation of our conflict of interest policy alone, that we had absolutely no choice but to accept Jack's offer to resign, which he had made in March of 2004 and again made in October of 2004. Consequently, in October 2004, I accepted Jack's resignation from the board and I have not spoken with him since. Thank you very much. Ms. Halpern. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Vice Chairman, and members of the committee. My name is Gail Halpern. I am a part-time accountant. I am a certified public accountant and personal financial planner. Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff were my clients from early 1997 until September 2004. I knew Mrs. Abramoff on a social basis, and she asked me sometime in early 1997 to be her and Mr. Abramoff's accountant and prepare their personal income tax returns. The following is a general description of the services I performed for the Abramoffs. I prepared Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff's personal income tax returns from the 1996 year tax year until the 2002 tax year inclusive. I prepared gift tax returns for Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff when required during this time as well. I prepared their children's income tax returns and I prepared trust income tax returns for the Jack and Pamela Abramoff family up to and including the 2003 tax year as required. I prepared personal and trust tax returns based on information provided by Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff or by those authorized to provide such information on their behalf, namely Mr. Abramoff's office at Preston Gates or later at Greenberg Traurig or Mr. Abramoff's business office. I did not prepare any corporate partnership or tax-exempt entity returns as I am not an expert in those areas of the tax law. Those returns were prepared by other competent accountants. Upon their request, I provided some tax planning advice to Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff within my limited areas of expertise. I also provided some estate planning advice and some financial planning advice to Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff as requested by them. I also answered general accounting and tax questions from the Abramoffs or from other authorized people in Mr. Abramoff's offices as mentioned earlier. Any questions that I was not able to answer, such as questions that were specific to a certain area of accounting or law, I referred to attorneys or accountants who practiced in that area of accounting or law. Mr. or Mrs. Abramoff made all of the decisions. For Mr. Abramoff's daily checking account and for some of his business entities, I worked with Mr. Abramoff's business office to help implement a bookkeeping software package that required them to input all the information required for me or for others to prepare tax returns. <coughs> I did not keep the books or prepare the books for Mr. Abramoff's daily checking account, business entities, or for any of the nonprofit entities that he started. Rather, my role was to answer questions or refer him to specialists <laughs> who could answer questions. When such questions were posed by Mr. Abramoff or by the bookkeeping personnel or staff. The day-to-day -day bookkeeping work was done by others, 
I was not an employee, officer, director, or member of any of Mr. Abramoff's entities. Instead, I am an independent accountant and I service other clients besides the Abramoffs. The tax returns that I prepared and any tax, estate, and financial planning services that I rendered were based on information provided to me by Mr. or Mrs. Abramoff or by personnel in Mr. Abramoff's offices mentioned earlier. To the best of my knowledge and based upon the information that they provided to me, all income received by the Abramoffs or their children or their family trusts for which I prepared income tax returns was reported and included in the relevant tax returns. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Mann. Mr. Chairman, I have no opening statement. Mr. Grosh. I'm embarrassed and disgusted to be part of this whole thing. Uh, the Lakota Indians have a word, Wakisu, which uh, aptly describes all of us right now. Thank you. Mr. Stetter? Chairman, I have no opening statement. Thank you. Uh, 